Sentire Media. Hello you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 117, Eleonora of Arborea and the Fall of Sardinia, 1326 to 1410. We last left the beautiful island of Sardinia in episode 104 with the conquest of most of the island by the Aragonese. They had completely ousted the Pisans who had lost all of their holdings on the island. The only thing that stood between the Spanish, or soon to be Spanish, and the total conquest of all of the island were some holdings in the north belonging to the Genoese Doria family and the last remaining judicate of Arborea. Just a quick reminder that Sardinia had had a history that was quite different from the rest of Italy and indeed from a lot of Europe. As the continent was forming its mixed Roman and Germanic kingdoms and implementing the feudal system, the Sardinians were forming their own four independent kingdoms, the Judicates, with political structures which were quite modern due to the level of popular participation and the parliament-like structures, the Coronas de Curatores and the Corona de Logu. As the new millennium came, the year 1000, Sardinia had slowly fallen under the influence of various Italian entities, with the maritime republics of Pisa and Genoa in the lead. Then, in 1297, Pope Boniface VIII had promised Sardinia to the Aragonese king James II, with the only issue that the Pope didn't really have any claim over Sardinia. It was more of a jus invadendi, a go-ahead for an invasion. The invasion hadn't come along until 1323, and then in two years the Aragonese got it all done, except for the territories we mentioned, including the last remaining judicate of Arborea. This was also because the judge of Arborea at the time was an ally of the Aragonese. The gentleman in question was Ugone II, Ugone meaning Big Hugo. After the Spanish conquest, Big Hugo sent his two sons, Pietro and Mariano, to the court of Barcelona, where they were treated with great honours, and it is here that the younger of the two, Mariano, married a Spanish noblewoman, Timbora de Roccamberti. They had a son, who was also given the name of Ugone, and a daughter, Eleonora. Other sisters would come later. Now, in keeping with the Sardinian tradition of being forward-thinking, Big Hugo had a very modern view on women. You see, in the Middle Ages, if you had daughters, you could marry off one or two, but mostly you would just stick them in the convent. Granted, they usually led comfortable lives. They were noblewomen after all, yet they still got stuck in convents. Big Hugo declared that his daughters could go to a convent if they wanted, but they would really do what they wanted. The important thing for him was that they were happy. Isn't that lovely? 
Good old Big Hugo threw off his mortal coil in 1335, and the Judicate of Arborea passed to his first son Pietro, so that he became Pietro III of Arborea, but he only lasted 12 years before he died without leaving an heir, so the Corona de Logu, the Parliament of Arborea, elected his younger brother, our Mariano, who became Mariano IV, and took up residence in the capital Oristano, with his Spanish wife Timbora and his son, little Big Hugo, Ugone, and Eleonora and other two sisters. When Mariano came to power, the alliance with Aragon still held, but there was a slightly different point of view. You see, the Spanish viewed the Judicate of Arborea as a vassal state. It was very important for them to have total control of the island of Sardinia to complete their diagonal line of influence from Spain down through the Baleares, through Sardinia and to Sicily to have access to northern Africa and a good part of the Mediterranean. Plus, Arborea itself was the most fertile agricultural area in Sardinia, with vital fresh water supplies as well as having important ports strategically placed in the middle of the western Mediterranean. Mariano, on the other hand, saw himself as an independent ruler. As you can imagine, these points of view could not really be reconciled for a long time. Indeed, in 1353 war broke out. The city of Alguero, to the northwest of the Judicate of Arborea, rebelled against the Spanish and declared for Arborea itself, who sent in troops to protect it. The Spanish would take it back, but in general, hostilities continued on and off for all of the reign of Mariano IV. He managed to rally the cause of the independence of the Sardinians, who flocked to his banner. Mariano was a good ruler, and it was he who issued the first version of the Carta de Logu, a sort of Bill of Rights or Constitution of the Sardinian people, guaranteeing them many rights that other citizens in other kingdoms did not have. Mariano had the same attitude to women that his father had had, and he associated his wife to the throne and used her in important diplomatic missions, giving her an important role in the running of the judicate. There was a convent outside of Oristano in which the nuns, yes, the nuns and not the monks, were copyists. Can you imagine that craziness going on? Not only were women being allowed to read, but they were also being allowed to write. The shame. And get this, there was even a school for girls. Will wonders never cease. Mariano ran a cultured court in general, promoting in particular the study of astronomy and science. He was also effective on a diplomatic level, managing to get Urban V to go against Boniface VIII's grant of Sardinia to the Aragonese crown, with the Pope even going so far as to depose King Peter IV of Aragon, known as the Ceremonious. Mariano died in 1375, and as we mentioned, was succeeded by his son, Ugone, who became Ugone III, Big Hugo III. He 
was not quite the man his father had been, and held a less refined court and ruled in a more authoritarian manner. And we know that when one rules in too much of an authoritarian manner, people can get annoyed. After the break, we'll see what happened to poor old Big Hugo III. Before the break, we left off wondering how Ugone III, son of Mariano IV of the Judicate of Arborea, would get on. But before we get back to him, let's go and have a visit with his sister, Eleonora, who around this time finally pops up in the annals of history, appearing in Genoa in 1382, married with a child. Her husband was a Genoese nobleman with a pretty cool name. Branca Leone Doria. Branca Leone could be translated as Lion Catcher. Eleonora wasn't just some island nobody hanging around in the Maritime Republic of Genoa. She managed to broker a deal with the Big Cheese, the top man of the Republic himself, the Doge, by arranging a marriage between her son Federico and the daughter of the Doge in exchange for a whopping great loan of 4,000 florins. It was while she was wheeling and dealing in Genoa that she received the news of the death of her brother, Ugorne III. There had been a rebellion of Sardinian nobles, and he had been found with his tongue cut out and a stone in his mouth, the death of a traitor. Eleonora felt that the long hand of the crown of Aragon was behind the killing. She hurried back to Sardinia and to Arborea to claim the throne for her son Federico. She sent her husband Brancaleone to the new Aragonese king John I to ask for his recognition, and in the end the king assented, but he decided he would keep Brancaleone as a, let's say, guest to ensure that Eleonora behaved. In response to this, Eleonora said, oh yeah, and went ahead and asked the Corona de Logu to make her judicessa, judges, and they did so willingly and enthusiastically in 1383. She then proceeded to continue the fight her father and brother had taken up, bringing almost all of the island of Sardinia under her control, except for the cities of Alghero and Cagliari, with the support of the Sardinian people, who saw her as their liberator. Having said this, Eleonora was no fool. She was not willing to go all out and see Sardinia destroyed in a potentially endless war with a powerful enemy. So, in 1388, she reached another shaky peace with the Aragonese, and, after a while, also got her husband back. With Brancaleone back on the scene, she left more of the fighty-fighty, stabby-stabby to him, boys and their toys, don't you know, and concentrated on what she felt was really important, giving her people a clearly regulated code of laws. She took the Carta de Logu, the charter of the land, that had been first set out by her father Mariano, and then added onto by her brother Ugone. Indeed, she added so much taking from custom and tradition and working between 1392 and 1395 that rather than that of her father or her brother, it is her name that is associated with this great document. 
The document was written in local Sardinian so common people could also understand it and they were encouraged to consult and familiarise with it so they knew what their rights were. For starters, it had a lot of the Magna Carta-like habeas corpus stuff that all good law codes should have. For example, you could not be imprisoned unjustly, and if you were imprisoned, you had a right to a speedy and fair trial. What's more, the use of the death penalty was restricted to certain specific cases, which is more progress than certain countries have made to this day. Then there were clauses regulating the economy and agriculture, and also very specific points on animals such as horses and falcons. There were also very severe norms against those who ruin the environment, such as against arson. Then came the whole section on women's rights, and here we see not only the elements of Eleonora's upbringing, but her own strong and determined hand. First of all, women had the same rights to inherit as their brothers did. Interestingly, this clause was used as recently as the early 19th century, in which some sisters appealed successfully to the law of Eleonora against their brothers who wished to cut them out of their inheritance. Then there was the whole section on rape. If a woman was sexually assaulted, the rapist would be forced to marry her, but only if the woman wanted him. If she didn't, and one hopes that this is the majority of cases, the rapist had to find the woman a husband of her choice that pleased her, and also pay for her dowry. What's more, rape was not considered just a crime against the woman, but also against the state, and the perpetrator would have to pay a hefty fine of 200 lira. If you have no idea how much that is, it is the equivalent of 20 battle horses. If you consider that only rich families could afford even one horse, it was quite a sum. If the perpetrator didn't pay up the sum within a certain amount of time, he would have his foot cut off. Then there was to be no distinction of any kind if the woman was married, unmarried, a virgin or not. This meant that the idea of non-married, non-virgins was perfectly acceptable. It was indeed a very important document. The Judicate of Arborea would not last long after the death of Eleonora. Her code instead would stay in place for four centuries. In the end, Sardinian independence would not fall in a final glorious battle between Sardinians and invaders, but due to a war between men and a disease. Indeed, at the start of the 15th century, a devastating wave of plague hit the island, leaving it unable to defend itself. It seems that Eleonora herself may have also died during this plague around 1403. In the end, Arborea fell after the siege of Oristano in 1410. The last judge, William III, was bought off for 150,000 Aragonese florins, which the Aragonese didn't even have to finish paying off. Sardinia would remain under Spanish control until 1719, when it would pass under the control of the House of Savoy, and later when Italy was united under their house to the Kingdom of Italy. Although her judicate fell, Eleonora of Arborea, the Judicessa 
wasn't forgotten. Her code of laws was adopted by the Spanish and used in all of Sardinia until it was substituted by that of King Carlo Felice in the 19th century. Eleonora herself, to this day, is hailed as a heroic symbol of Sardinian independence. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely, lovely Patreon supporters, starting from the first part of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Anthony G, Bill S, Brian J, Carrie W, Celine, Chanel, Dave L, Dean V, Dominique T, Douglas R, Emily B, Federica R, Francesco A, Gabriel S, Greg, Ignazio, Il Valentino, Jeff M, Jeffrey W, Joseph S, Juan, Julia, and Old John in Milwaukee. Thanks, of course, to the tippy-top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri level, Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Brandon S, David A, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Rinat and Sen. I would also like to really thank Bill S and Chris for increasing their pledges and welcome, welcome, welcome to new Patreon supporter Koati. Welcome to the family. If you wish, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com or look us up on our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram accounts. On our URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our support page and become a Patreon supporter and get access to extra content. If you've been thinking about giving a review and haven't done so yet, now would be the perfect time. Summer is here. Great moment to start reviewing your favourite podcast. Why not? Once again, thanks very much to you for listening. And until next time, arrivederci. Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.